Hello and welcome to this special Easter edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today's show is co-sponsored by the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University in Chicago. You can learn more about them at luc.edu slash ips. And we have a very different show today. Sister Marie Paul Curley will be joining us with her Easter film countdown for this year. But I'm also interested in speaking to her about what Easter is like with the Daughters of St. Paul. And our second guest is Jay Brock. We had Jay on the program about a year ago to tell us about his documentary about sex trafficking, Red Light, Green Light. Jay spent a year traveling around the world trying to learn about prayer and also trying to deepen his prayer life. All his experiences are now in a book titled A Year of Living Prayerfully, How a Curious Traveler Met the Pope, Walked on Coals, danced with rabbis, and revived his prayer life. So we're going to be speaking with Jay later on in the program. And of course, we'll ask him about prayer and also Easter. And if you're listening to us on Saturday on Spirit FM or on Holy Family Radio or on the Catholic Channel or on the Lamb Radio Network, or if you're podcasting this at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and it is still Saturday, it's not Easter yet, but we're going to take a little creative license and begin celebrating Easter. This is our Easter show So please excuse all our alleluias during Holy Saturday. Today we're going to listen to music by some of the artists that we featured on this show in the last couple of months. So you'll hear from Joe Zambone, Tori Harris, Aaron Thompson, Wall, and Mikey Needleman. And that'll be throughout the program. So let's begin with a good pre-Easter song, a song about new life, but one that begins with the story of Lazarus. That's the new life that we can all have in Jesus Christ. So here is Joe Zambone with Dead Man Rise from his album, Brothers. I said, ooh, say ooh. I said, ooh, let the dead man rise. Let the dead man rise. I said, ooh, say ooh. I said, ooh, let the dead man rise. Let the dead man rise.
Cause what once was lost can now be found What once was dead now come to life Let the damn it rise, let the damn it rise That was Joe Zambone with Let the Dead Man Rise from his latest album, Brothers. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org. That's where you can learn all about what we do here at Salt and Light. And joining me now is Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, welcome to our Easter edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's so good to be with you, especially for such a special feast day. It is. It is. Now, uh, you, you, you're a religious sister. You live in community. I've, I've never experienced Holy Week Easter within a religious community, and I'm wondering if our listeners are also curious to know what that is like. It's really, really special. Um, I have very vivid memories of my very first Holy Week and my first Easter in the convent. Yeah? And, uh, yeah. It's, uh, we actually invite a group of young women to who are, you know, maybe thinking about religious life, to come and join us for, we call it the Holy Week Retreat uh, here in our Boston Mother House. And we, we do it every year, and um, we actually have a young woman from Toronto visiting, so oh, yeah. I'm really excited about that. And, um, yeah, they come and they really experience, it really, I think being in the convent, you really enter into the liturgy very profoundly because that's really the focus of our day. You know, especially right. during Holy Thursday, Good Friday, so, so even Holy Saturday, the Vigil of Waiting you yeah. know, um, for the Resurrection. And then we do all the readings for the Vigil, which is so awesome. Yes, and, I know. Um, so many yes, parishes don't do that. It's very powerful. Did, did you, uh, did, so you said you vividly remember that first Holy Week, that first yes. Easter in the convent. Did you, did you understand Holy Week and Easter in a way that you didn't before? I think I had always understood about Good Friday that you, you know, that was the anniversary or the memorial of the day where Jesus gave his life for us. But what I never experienced, you know, as a young person before I entered was that during Holy Week, especially during those three special days, you know, Triduum and Easter, we are called to enter deeply into the whole experience of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection mm-hmm. to the point that we are changed. Like, it's, it's like the church's retreat for us every year. Yes. You know, for the regular Catholic in the pew, this is, this is our chance to go deeper. And I had never really thought about, you know, I, I had imagined scenes from the gospel, and I especially knew how to pray with the Stations of the Cross, because, yeah. you know, what Catholic kid doesn't grow up knowing a little bit about the Stations of the Cross? But I didn't realize that you could pray, you know, all evening, Holy Thursday evening, and that special gift of the Eucharist, and, that, and, and just that, it just made the whole Paschal mystery, which is a very theological term, very personal for me for the mm-hmm. first time. And, yeah, it blew me away. I, I was like, oh, Jesus died for me, and he rose for me, and mm-hmm. all of the events that happened, um, he did all of that for me and for us, and for you know, and for the people that I'm, you know, I was beginning to try to serve as a as a as a postulant for the first time. So yeah, it was really transforming. I I will never look at Holy Week. I mean, ever since then, yeah. I've loved Holy Week and always have looked at it in a different way. Yeah, I love Holy Week too. Now, now, how many you're in the you're in your mother house in Boston. That's right. And how many sisters live there with you? We are about 75 to 80 oh, sisters. Wow. Depending, oh, there's a lot of traveling happening, but yeah, we're, we so, have our provincial government and our, our senior sisters are here. Okay. And then we have our whole publishing house and our novitiate. 
And so that, yeah, that comes to about 80 sisters on a day when everybody's home. So for these Holy Week, like the Triduum, are these private masses or celebrations that you have, or are you in a parish that is open to the public? Good question. We have our own convent chapel where we actually have mass celebrated every day because it would kind of be a massive effort to get 80 <laughs> nuns yes. to church at the same time by car, and there's no church in walking distance, at least yeah. not in easy walking distance. Yes. Um, but uh, So we do have a chaplain who comes every day, uh, different chaplains, actually. The archdiocese is very generous, and the uh-huh. priests are very generous here. But that for the Triduum, what we do is, and for Holy Week, and many of our feasting masses, we'll open up our chapel and invite people to come and celebrate with us in a special way. Okay. So I've been blessed to have my parents come okay. for the Easter Vigil, and um, sometimes our neighbors or our friends or, or just people who want to enter more deeply into the Holy Week liturgies, they'll come right. and, and celebrate with us, and that makes it extra special. Interesting. Now, uh, the, uh, as you know, Pope Francis declared that this year would be the year for consecrated life. You're living the consecrated life. How... How is Holy Week and Easter kind of fit into that experience of consecration or consecrated life? Well, it's really, well, I, I suppose every sister and every brother and priest who's a religious would answer that question a little differently. Yes. But for me, it's, it highlights the fact that my relationship with the Lord is is my exclusive relationship. You know, I'm not, I don't have a, I don't ma- get married, um, except, you know, if you could talk about spiritual marriage in the sense of uh, dedicating my life and, and making the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Yeah. But, so the Lord is really my spouse or my significant other, and he is the one that, um, so living, it's very different living Holy Week um, with a distant relationship with the Lord when you and living it with well, right. this is my spouse this is the this is the one whom I've dedicated my life to and right. so you know sometimes we pray like Holy Thursday night I'm leading our hour of adoration together and I'm bringing in our vows of chastity poverty and obedience and how when we live those well you know when we live those fully that's a watching with Jesus in the garden because we're mm-hmm. waiting the fullness of redemption in our own lives, and we're waiting for that in the world, and we're praying and working for that, and um, and we're you know we're working towards bringing um, everybody towards uh, you know the heavenly Jerusalem, towards a, a profound union with God in heaven. So that which is the whole purpose of Jesus' redemption. So it's a very it's very personal, and it's very connected to my everyday life because the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience touch every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you can kind of think, oh, chastity, well, we don't get married. But no, no, it's cha- the vow of chastity is all about how I choose to love. Yeah. And it's the call to be a spiritual mother to everyone uh, whom I'm called to minister to and, and to speak with and connect with and engage with on, in the media since our, you know, our mission is really communicating Christ. So, yeah, so chastity is every aspect of my life, and uh, so is poverty and obedience. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's very, uh, it's not disconnected or theoretical at all. It's very personal. Right. Very well, you real. know what I'm thinking, and, I, and, I, and this is not an attempt to, to make a segue, but I, you, you, you have a weekly, sorry, a monthly column that you do for us. It's Windows to the Soul. That's also your blog. But it, it seems that that experience is a little bit of a window to, 
both to your soul, but also you. Uh, and I'm thinking of your book, Soul of Christ, and the mm-hmm. soul connection that you have with with Christ. That's different than I think I I would have. Mm. Um, uh, w- does that make any sense? It does <laughs> actually. Actually, it does because I I always think of this. I I know we're body and soul, and it's very important to think of the person as a whole. But when we talk about the term soul, when we highlight that, we're talking about the deepest part of ourselves, right? And the part of ourselves that is spiritual and more drawn to the beauty, the love, and the goodness of God. And so, yeah, so I believe, you know, I look for Christ in the media. When I'm, when I'm looking at films or looking at social media, I, I look for seeds of the gospel or the presence of God in and, and, and people and mm-hmm. then in their media that they create because the media are artifacts of people. You know, it's what we do yeah. with the media. And then, um, yeah, and, and that becomes really powerful for me. And then, of course, yes, if you're hearing how I'm seeing things, you're getting a glimpse into my soul, too. So, yeah, yeah, it's all a series of windows. And hopefully the idea is that we all become transparent windows for Christ. Absolutely. You know, that the media that we produce, you know, the yes. thing we post on Facebook or the Instagram photo that we post or the words that we say to our loved ones when we get up in the morning, you know, we hope that all of that becomes a communication for Christ. So uh, our whole lives are a window for him. Yeah, absolutely. And Holy Week is, is a special opportunity that the church gives us that we can work on that so that we can become more transparent. Um, we're going to take a little break, sister, but we're going to get to windows to the soul. And I know you have an, an Easter, quote unquote, Easter film countdown for us. Um, I do. <laughs> so we're going to get to that. We're speaking with Sister Marie Paul Curley of the Daughters of St. Paul. Um, we're going to take a little break for a song, so don't go too far away. Here is Tori Harris with Overcome the Grave from her album Adoremus. Let nothing disturb you And let nothing affright your soul For all things are passing And God is in control Patient endurance obtains all things And with God nothing is wanting Things and with God, no. 
Pedro, that was Tori Harris with Overcome the Grave from her album Adoremos. You can find out more about Tori Harris at her website, toriharris.com. You're listening to a special Easter edition of the Salt and Light Hour. We're speaking with Sister Marie Paul Curley, who, as I mentioned in earlier, once a month, joins us for her column, Windows to the Soul. She looks for that connection to beauty i guess to the soul of of god the soul of the movie in the movies i don't know i totally did not describe that very well you you, you do do you do a better job describing it sister than I that's just okay <laughs> and i have a feeling that most of our listeners know exactly what i do even better than you and i would describe it but yeah looking for the seeds of the gospel and connection between culture and and christ and and trying to trying to Bring that, nurture that, so that we can live our whole lives in Christ, and media don't stay a separate part of our lives, but they're integrated into our life of faith. Right. Very well said. (laughs) Um, And and every year at Christmas and at Easter, you have a special theme, and you give us five five films to look for. So what is your Easter countdown theme this year? This is a theme I have wanted to do for a long time, and I never quite had the courage to do it. So I'm taking my courage in both hands this time. I am. I chose to look at the best, according to you know, Windows to the Soul, according to how I see these films, uh, the best saint movies of all time. And and of course, the connection to Easter is very direct, right? Jesus rose from the dead to bring us to new life and holiness. That union with Christ that is the new life that He came to bring us. So actually, it's really appropriate during the Easter season to see movies on the lives of the saints. And I have a bunch of good ones to suggest. Uh, you know, maybe I look at this specifically because I've written Lives of the Saints in, yes. in print, and I've actually written a draft of a, of a couple of scenes of two different Lives of the Saints that someday I hope I have a chance to write and, and maybe we could and get them produce, produced yes. someday. So, you know, that's a dream I have um, because saint stories are just so awesome. But the first thing that I really look for is I need a sense of the, per- the saint's humanity. You know, the character has to be, in the film, has to be someone I can identify with. Right. So if they're portrayed like a plaster statue that has nothing, um, you know, that has no flaw or is very static and doesn't grow at all, that's, that's really hard for me to watch a film like that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is a sense of a sense of their virtue and holiness, and above all, you know, their motivation or what, what makes them tick, what right. makes them choose holiness. Now, the best movies on the saints, there's a, the saint is always a bit mysterious. We don't, I mean, and actually any good movie, the protagonist always has this element that we don't totally understand. But, you know, each right. of us, um, Deacon Pedro, are called to echo.
echo God, you know, in the world in a particular way. You know, I just read that phrase from Francis de Sales, and I love it. Yeah. It's called to echo a unique sound of God. So it's helpful to see how the different saints do that because each of them are unique, and then it helps us to see how we are called to do that in our own uniqueness. But also, holiness has common threads. Obviously, you know, faith, hope, and love and the practice of different virtues. You know, so it's, it's kind of cool. So, so yes. I have to say there's really only one film that fits all of these criteria. Okay. But there have been some good efforts made over the years. So I'd like to highlight five and, and offer them up to, uh, to everybody here um, and to consider seeing some good saint movies over the Easter season. Okay, and good. Of so, course, this is very personal. So, it'll, I'll be really curious to hear what your number one is. Yes. So, best saint movies of all time. Countdown. Number Take five. it away, sister. Okay, I cheated on number five. It's terrible, but I did because Rai Looks Bidet uh, in Italy mm-hmm. has been creating maybe one or two saint movies a year for yes. television. Uh, they're carried by our sisters' centers, uh, you know, at Pauline Books and Media. They are, they're made for TV movies, so the budget's not huge, but I find that many of them are inspiring. They're pretty accurate in their interpretation of the mm-hmm. saints' lives. Unfortunately, the production quality varies quite a bit, uh, and they are a bit heavy-handed in terms of the preaching and the sentimental, mm-hmm. but the production values are pretty solid most of the time. And I find what seems to be key in these productions is the actor that's chosen as the saint. Right. They seem to need to be brilliant in their performance to carry the film. And so um, I, I've not seen all of them because I think there's like 15 now. But I, I brought up the top four that have come up repeatedly, like in our centers and in uh, the people that I've asked um, over the past you know, few, a couple of years. Uh, so the top ones are St. John Bosco, uh-huh. St. Rita, John the Twenty-Third, and St. Philip Neri. Uh, and I just want to highlight, with St. John Bosco, they, t- they quote right out of his words. So it's a very accurate portrayal in some ways of St. John Bosco's yeah. spirituality. And I I'd imagine they do that with all of these saints. I just happen to know John Bosco a little bit better. So that's a tie, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, they're worth investigating. They are inspirational, even if sometimes they get a bit heavy-handed in terms of the, the preachiness. So John Bosco, St. Rita, John the Twenty-Third, and what was the fourth one? And the fourth one was St. Philip Neri. Philip Neri, yes. Who's a lot of fun anyway as a saint. So. Okay, good. So that's the tie for fifth place. Number four. Yes. Romero, produced by oh, Paris yes. Productions. Yes. The focus of this film, and, it, you know, Oscar Romero is going to be out of, be beatified on May 23rd. So yes. this is definitely a film yes. we want to look up. If you have not seen this, the focus of this film is the Archbishop Romero's transformation from a prayerful scholar who is, at least the movie presents him as a bit detached at the beginning of the film when he becomes Archbishop, to a fearless shepherd who not only stands up for his flock, but ultimately lays down his life for the people of El Salvador who are undergoing grave, grave injustice. You know, this is a film that um, is transforming. And there's a scene that I love to show to people, or if, you know, if they don't have time to see the whole film, that always moves people very deeply. And it's one of the key th- moments of um, Archbishop Romero's own transformation. Raul Julia plays mm-hmm. the role of Archbishop Romero brilliantly, and uh, he's just, he's a wonderful saint uh, to be beatified shortly, and it's a great film about him. Yes, agreed. Number three, Seventh Chamber of Edith Stein. Okay. Have you, have you heard of this? Never. 
Oh, my gosh. Okay, this is such a great film. This is a very unconventional saint film. It's expressionist. It's an indie film. It was made in Europe. It's brilliantly directed by Marcia Maceros. And Edith Stein is played by the same actress who plays the Blessed Mother in The Passion of the Christ, okay. Maya Morgenstern. Yes. And she's brilliant in that. This film is really about the contemplative St. Edith Stein. Uh, it's very artistic and artsy. It's, it's not an easy film to watch because Edith Stein did not have an easy life. You know, she was raised a Jew. She uh, uh, converted to Catholicism with great opposition from her family. She decided to become a Catholic nun. At the time, it, she, was, she was, uh, underwent persecution by the Nazis, lost her job at the university. She was a university professor. Then she had to flee for her life from the, from the Nazis. And in the end, she dies in a concentration camp, yes. offering her life for the salvation of her people. So it's, she didn't have an easy life. And the, and the film starts with her baptism. But it is such a rich film and with rich symbolism and dreamlike sequences that allow us to get into the depth of Edith Stein's writing about the spiritual life, mm -hmm. which, of course, she borrows heavily from St. Teresa of Avila, who was one of her yes. great influences for conversion. So it's a hugely rewarding film to watch, a great discussion film, and uh, I totally recommend it. So the, the seventh, seventh Chamber of Edith that's, Stein. That's correct. Okay, good. Number two. Number two. I hope everybody listening has seen this, <laughs> this miniseries. It's entitled Teresa de Jesus. It was produced yes. by uh, Spanish television back in 1984. It's a miniseries with eight episodes. It is in Spanish with English subtitles. I, I understand that the English subtitles aren't 100% accurate to the original dialogue of the film, but they're pretty good because I don't speak fluent Spanish, so I use the subtitles. This is a brilliant miniseries about the life of St. Teresa of Avila. It's brilliant. The performance is great. You have time to really get into her life and really understand what makes her tick. You see her in all her humanness and really in all her holiness. It's, it's really a fantastic series to watch. Yes, it is, and I actually saw it in Spanish growing up. Oh, wonderful! On TV, okay, yes. so yeah, do you have anything to add? It's no, great. I agree with you. It was a long time, but I agree with you. It was, it was, it was a miniseries like any other miniseries. Yeah. It was great, yeah. Brilliantly done. And then my very favorite number one film is Man for All Seasons, oh, which is yeah. the life of St. Thomas More. Uh, this is the film that satisfies all the requirements to be a great saint movie, and in part that's because it's such a great movie. Uh, it was written by a brilliant screenwriter, Robert Bolt. It won six, six Oscars, mm -hmm. and it still stands the test of time. Uh, and it's a little slower moving because it was done, you know, 40, 50 years ago now, but it's brilliant. It's the witty dialogue. Uh, it's accurate in terms of taking from St. Thomas's more St. Thomas's own words. Uh, we have historical accounts of St. Thomas More's trial, and it quotes right from that. Yes. The performance by Paul Schofield is superb, and he really he's so human, um, you know, and not wanting to be a martyr, and yet he allows, as an actor, he allows this radiance of this relationship with Christ to shine through as he acts, and. You, you understand his motivation and his, his, his need to act with integrity and to be faithful to Christ above all. It's, it's, 
it's a brilliant, brilliant film, and I'm not doing it justice now. I should have given myself 10 minutes just to talk about this movie because it is, if you have never seen Man for All Seasons, you have to see this movie. <laughs> yes, and you know what? I have never seen it, but I have heard so many things about it. And oh, just the goodness. fact that it won so many Academy Awards, I mean, right there, it says that it's a great film. It's a story that, that stands the test of time. The film has uh, stands the test of time because it was, like you said, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to have to go watch it. That'd be great. So okay. those are a few movies to think about. Um, I'll post up some yes. um, honorable mentions on my blog. But uh, this, that these, these are some really great films. Go, go see them, find them. Uh, some of them are almost all of them are available um, that you can get on DVD. So. Okay, very good. And so I trust that the list will be also on your website, Absolutely. Windows to the Soul. Yes. Okay, thank you very much, Sister. Um, happy Easter. Thank you, and to you too, and to all the listeners. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul. You can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com and you can also follow her on Twitter at Sister M. Paul. Here now is Mikey Needleman with his setting of the Easter sequence from his new album, Your Ways, published by World Library Publications. Christians to the Paschal Victor Christians to the Paschal Victor Thankful praises, a lamb that she redeemed, Christ who only is sinless, reconciled sinners to the
was Mikey Needleman with Easter Sequence from his album Your Ways, published by World Library Publications. And singing with Mikey on this track is his sister Celia, Celia Thompson. You can learn more about Mikey Needleman at his website, MikeyNeedleman.com. Coming up in our second half hour, Jared Brock on his year of living prayerfully and music from Aaron Thompson and Wall. Change yourself and the world around you with a graduate degree from Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies. Loyola's degree programs will give you the skills you need to serve others in the information age. Our brand new digital communication concentration combines Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use social media and other digital platforms for outreach and evangelization. To learn more about Loyola's graduate programs and other courses we offer, head to luc.edu slash IPS. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, last we spoke with Jared Brock, he had just finished working on a documentary on sex trafficking and the effects of legalizing prostitution. You might remember it was called Red Light, Green Light. And he was also at the end of a year-long journey that took him and his wife, Michelle, all over the world. That experience is now a book, A Year of Living Prayerfully. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Jared Brock. Jay, welcome to the program. Hi, Deacon Pedro. Thanks for having me again. So my I, curious, when I started reading the book and knowing you and, and, and the work that you and Michelle do with sex trafficking and prostitution, how, how was the making of Red Light, Green Light part of sending you on this prayer quest? Was that related at all? Yeah, it was actually foundational. Um, we were shooting the documentary Undercover in the Red Light District of Amsterdam, and um, I had never been there before, and the scene was totally overwhelming. There's hundreds of men drunk out of their minds outside of this one bar. There's police on the streets. People are puking in the alleyways. And um, Michelle, my wife, had an opportunity to go into a number of these red light windows with a care worker friend of hers. Mm-hmm. And these girls were sick, and they're tired, and they're scared. And one of them just looked out at the mob, and she whispered, dangerous. Because what happens is if their team loses, these guys come and take out their aggression on the girls. Right. And if their team wins, they come and celebrate the girls. Right. So either way, the girls lose. And in the middle of Amsterdam, is the oldest building in the city, and it's an 800-year-old church, and it's still active. And every hour on the hour, the church bells ring, and men abuse women to the soundtrack of church bells. And I stood in the middle, and I just said, God, I need your power and prayer to end this. And that's how this journey started. So, okay, uh, and I get, I, I get that, 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 that epiphany, that moment, <sighs> oh, God, I need your power and prayer to, to help end this, but how do we go from there to... I need to deepen my prayer life because that's what I understand that your journey was. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Guess, so at its basically, core. I had read a lot about how in the Middle Ages Christians used to go on pilgrimages. They would take a year out of uh, life to set aside the things of earth and focus on the things above. And I'd always thought that that would be really cool to kind of recreate that medieval tradition. So um, a publisher offered to um, pay for the trip if I would write a book about the experience. So. Um, after the red light district, I was like, okay, now is the time. And um, so I ended up traveling uh, 59,000 kilometers, 37,000 miles around the world to explore a world of Judeo-Christian prayer traditions across our faith family. So how much of it was trying to learn more about different prayer traditions and how much was really Jay Brock's personal quest in deepening his prayer life? 
it really was both. Um, I think the way to describe <laughs> the way that I've described it was I wasn't just trying to to like sprinkle cilantro on a burrito. I was trying to learn to cook. Like I had a, I had a very powerful prayer life when I was in high school. We had seen a bit of a revival in our school. Um, many of my closest friends uh, were converted to Christ uh, in my high school years, and I had lost that somewhere along the way. My wife and I had felt like it had kind of disappeared, and we really wanted that back, especially now that the stakes are so much higher, now that we're dealing with human trafficking and these justice issues. So I was very motivated to get well outside my comfort zone, you know, visiting places like Westboro and North Korea, and mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, beautiful experiences like the Pope's house and things like that. But, yeah, that was the driving force for sure was, God, teach me how to pray, just like the disciples asked Jesus. So teach me how to pray because it's particularly in that moment in Amsterdam, you, you personally felt far away from God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and prayer. Okay, so then at that moment, if I can maybe uh, help us understand your journey, at that moment, had I asked you, what is prayer, what would you have answered? I honestly don't even know, Pedro. I think I would have, you know, said the typical thing. I was like, oh, well, it's talking to God. But the fact remains, my prayer life at the time was really just like asking Santa Claus for things. It yeah. was just me asking for things. It wasn't the deep relationship that I wanted. But did you know, did you know at, at some level, whether intellectually or maybe deep down, that it that it that it, it is more than just talking to God that you because you long for that relationship and that you understood that it was your not just your prayer life that needed to be deepened but maybe your relationship with God. Yeah, like I mean, that has to be part of it. Um, I think it was pretty deep down, though. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it it was a. I was I was basically living like many Christians, um, quite prayerless. Um, mm-hmm. I had been raised in the church, and you just kind of get used to the routine of, you know, prayers before supper and bedtime, and um, right. and I knew it had to get shaken out. Right. Um, le- I'm, I'm going to clarify, not, not to put you on the spot or anything, but most of our listeners are Catholic. You're not. You grew up in a Protestant tradition. You still belong to, a, to the Protestant church, correct? Um, uh, I definitely would say that I leaned more towards ecumenicalism okay. these days. Okay, yeah. Like, um, I... You know, this this prayer journey has been incredible, and it's been great to, like, get emails from Catholics and yes. Orthodox priests and, uh, you know, Jesuits. And, um, you know, I spent time at the oldest church building in North America. It's a Quaker meeting house in yes. Maryland. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I go to a community church. I went to Catholic Mass for um, Christmas this year. Like, I'm... Yeah happy and comfortable across our faith family so because the key word in christianity really is christ right and it's been amazing you know i visited Taze and yes an ecumenical community yes and i, and I want to ask you about that but the reason the reason why i wanted to and, and again i, I n- not to put you on the spot and i no, didn't want to be uh, i, I want to be fair to you but to make the distinction because there are clear prayer traditions and you've explored a lot of them mm-hmm. much more than most people um, and how much do you think that our prayer life is fueled by our own traditions? Like yours was, as you were growing up, uh, uh, influenced or, or informed by a certain tradition. And how much do you think that we need to, th- that, that those traditions can actually get in the way? Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. We are so informed by our culture and by, and, and even more than just like 
Catholicism or Protestantism or Orthodoxy, but even like yeah. our local parish or church or congregation right. and family can so influence our prayer lives. Um, the beauty of this year of living prayerfully was that I got to explore so many traditions, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating Passover with Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn and yeah. practicing silence and going to Spain to practice Ignatian meditation. And um, it's been great. I, I had breakfast with a, a prayer kind of expert, and he was saying how, you know, people think that prayer is one dish, but in actuality, it's a buffet. Mm-hmm. If you only have one dish your entire life, you're going to get sick. You're not going to be healthy. Prayer is this constant communion with Christ. It's this conversation with Jesus that has so many different facets. You know, if I just said the same thing to my wife every day, yeah. we would have a terrible relationship. Absolutely. So it, yeah, it's, and, it's so and, much more rich. Yeah, yeah, and 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 not just if you only communicated with her the, the same way, if you only spoke, but you hold hands, you That's you give right. her gifts, you um, and even within Catholicism, we have different uh, spirituality. So there's Ignatian, there's Carmelite, mm-hmm. there's Franciscan, there's Benedictine. So and and I think that that just you're right makes our our relating to God, our relationship as as children of God richer. Um, how did you decide where to go? Yeah, like, I mean, that was, it was more of a saying no. There were so many things I could have explored. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to start with Judaism because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, of course. Yeah. And so I wanted to start with Judaism. And then um, I wanted to explore, explore Orthodoxy because it's so ancient, so mm-hmm. very old. I knew I wanted to ex- explore Catholicism because it's obviously the biggest. Um, it's the most powerful and influential. And, um mm-hmm. So, of course, I said, okay, if I'm going to learn about Catholicism, I might as well learn from the best. So through a lot of work and prayer, we managed to um, get an audience with um, Pope Francis, and that was a wonderful time, and had lunch with the Vatican. And so, yeah, it was just, and then, of course, I explored, uh, you know, Pentecostalism, Quakerism, Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of traditions. Um, But it really was hard to say no. It basically came down to time and budget for what I couldn't do. Right. Now, like uh, I would have loved to spend time um, in Loyola, for instance. Um, that's I love right, Ignatius, in Spain. but yeah. just didn't have the budget for it. Yeah, it's too bad. I love Ignatius too. He's he's my it's he's great. my guy. Um, <laughs> but you were you were in, in in Compostela, and you I mean you 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 share so much about Ignatius and also about Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross in the book as well. So so it's it's there. Just because you didn't go doesn't mean that that you didn't explore that. Um, you even, I mean, especially coming from Guelph, and they had the Je- the Jesuits are there in Guelph at the farm. Um, uh, uh, you've mentioned a little bit of all the experiences you've had. Um, we don't have time to talk about all of it, of course, but maybe uh, um, aside from meeting Pope Francis, I'll say, <laughs> what what was maybe the one profound or the most profound experience that you had? Um, I think visiting the Taizé ecumenical community three hours east of Paris was so powerful. Um, we would pray before breakfast, before lunch, and after dinner, and each time of prayer starts with eight minutes of silence. And it's based on a quote by Brother Roger, the founder. He said, yeah. maintain inner silence in all things so as to dwell with Christ. And it was wonderful to enter into a deep silence with hundreds and thousands of other young people. And I think like, my prayer life was always one-sided. It was a speech. It was a monologue. But mm-hmm. prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue. And that means we need times of silence to hear the still, small voice of God. So my prayer life now is actually far more quiet and far more active. Yeah. So 
it's becoming more of a relationship. Yeah. And I, I'm in no way a prayer expert. Like, I mean, you've read the book. At the <laughs> yes. end, I'm like a first-year student who now knows all the things they don't know. I'm simply a pilgrim on a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. We're big fans of Taizé here. Um, uh, we're going to take a little break, but don't go too far away because this is a, an ongoing conversation. We're speaking with Jay Brock, Jared Brock, the author of A Year of Living Prayerfully. And we're going to be right back after this song. Here is Aaron Thompson with Easter Song from his album 10,000 Angels. Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus is not in the tomb. He has been raised and the veil is torn. Jesus is not in the tomb. Aaron Thompson with Easter Song from his album 10,000 Angels. You can learn more about Aaron Thompson at his website, AaronThompsonMusic.com. I'm Deacon Pedro. You're listening to a special Easter edition of the Salt and Light Hour. We're speaking with Jared Brock, the author of A Year of Living Prayerfully. Um, so that's it. All you learned was this is how much I don't know. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and silence. That I mean, those are profound, uh, profound uh, experiences that some people never learn, but... Uh, how is your prayer life today? Uh, like, I mean, there's so many things. Um, I spent time at Westworld Baptist Church, which, of course, is considered America's most hated family. And <laughs> I walked away from that experience, and I was so angry that there's a group of people that call themselves Christians and treat other humans with such disdain. And I was filled with the same anger that fills the people at Westboro, and I was feeling really guilty about that. And I remembered an old quote by Dorothy Day, a Catholic missionary worker, yeah. and she said, um, she talked about the idea of um, I love God as much as the person I love the least. Yes. So I started practicing this uh, this old Quaker tradition called holding in the light. When you've run out of things to pray for someone, 
Quakers simply picture themselves holding mm -hmm. that person in the light of God's grace and say, God, help me to see them as you see them, yes. love them as you love them, and do the work that only you can do. So I started holding Westboro in the light, and now when I think of them, I kind of get giddy for the work that God could do in their lives yeah. if they experience grace and love. And when I see them on TV, people are like, oh, it's Westboro. And I'm like, oh, it's Westboro. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to just like, Jesus is very clear, like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Like, yeah. that's, that's, you can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. You know, can I just say something that I read that in the book, and I've started holding people in the light, and I don't even know how to do it or what it does, or, or how, but that's it's right. like, uh, but and and the idea of of help help me see them and love them as you see them and love them. I actually mm -hmm. got from Saint Ignatius. That's also Ignatian. So it, it all comes together. Um, uh, Michelle, your wife was she didn't travel everywhere with you, but she was a big part of this journey, whether she was there physically or not with you. Mm -hmm. How how did this whole experience affect affect your your marriage? Oh, God bless my wife. I've put her through so much. You know, like, I threw her naked into a river for a, um, for a Jewish Hasidic tradition, and she had to stay home while I went to Mount Athos, the Greek monastery island on the Aegean Sea in Greece. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, she's, she's a good sport, and um, we met when we were very young. We actually met in Christian school in the seventh grade, and uh, so I snagged her young. But she's... Um, she was a great partner in this project, and we definitely have a more prayerful life now. Um, it's a lot more meaningful. Um, it's a lot more active and silent. And it was so great to go to places like Teze with her. Right. And um, going to Avila together was just so yes, in Spain. so enchanting. Like, it's just so mystical, right? Yes. Like, Teresa was like this wild doctor of prayer, and John of the Cross is this, like, sorrowful, haunting man. And, yes. Um, so doing these experiences together, like, talk about a way to bind your marriage fast. Um, mm -hmm. People often say, like, okay, but people don't have the money to go on pilgrimages. And it's like, no, that's true, but we all go on cruises and all-inclusives. I think maybe if we reinvested some of our tourism dollars into smaller pilgrimages, we could infuse meaning into our otherwise meaningless trips, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was a great great year in our marriage that we will never forget yeah now i don't think it's coincidence that you started it was passover you ended it was passover right before mm -hmm. or in the middle of holy week i think holy week is a time that the, the church gives us where we can mm -hmm. practice silence um how did this experience change change your holy week and your easter um like i mean so coming from a protestant tradition of course the the, the idea of holy week and lent um isn't as big of a focus. Yeah. Um, so learning about all these things uh, in the Catholic tradition has, of course, been very helpful for me because I didn't simply come from that yeah. um, growing up. Um, so, yeah, I, it's still something I'm exploring. Like, there's so many pieces to Catholicism that I absolutely love, like the idea of e examine, like mm -hmm. every evening, yeah. seeing where God was in your day. Um mm -hmm. In regards to, like, Lent and the Holy Week, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of that. Like, maybe check back with me in a year and we'll see where I'm at. Um, <laughs> I'm going to a, I'm going to a Easter service and a Good Friday service, which is new for me oh, uh, this year. So um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You, you should, if you could do Holy Thursday as well, you should, because that's the, the whole Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday with the vigil is really one one mm -hmm. big celebration that's the whole three days 
So you and you know, I, I got to go to the spot where, the traditional spot where Jesus was crucified and yes. buried, resurrected, yes. and that, for me, just changes Easter and the whole yes. week forever. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. Um, you know, it's interesting, Deacon Pedro, because it's so commercialized now. Like, I, know. I ended up becoming friends with a tour guide, and we like went out for lunch a couple times and like just chatted for hours, and he said... Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the price of hummus at the restaurants actually increases the closer you get to where yeah. Jesus died. And sure enough, like, you know, there are people selling T-shirts that say Guns and Moses. Yes. And there you can actually rent a cross and drag it down the Via Dolorosa. Mm-hmm. And you have to pay to visit, you know, like the spot of the resurrection, like the ascension. And yes. it's so commercial, and yet somehow Christ breaks through. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Jesus comes to the temple and he overturns the tables of the money lenders. Yeah. And here we are totally profiting yeah. off of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And it's just, it's almost so fitting. And I had the opportunity to go to the Mount of Olives and it was sunset over the city. And um, after spending a week there, and there's just so much strife and controversy between different ethnicities and religions. And yeah. A young guy in our group asked me, he said, uh, Jared, what do you think Jesus would do if he was back in Jerusalem today? And I said, I think he would do the same thing he did last time. I think he'd weep over Jerusalem. Yeah. And there's just yeah. this, you know, it's a city of sorrow and beauty and brokenness, like everywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. because we are broken and we need a Savior. So yeah. it was a powerful experience and a whole range of emotions. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and everyone should, should try to try to go. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 broken. And hurting, but holy at the mm-hmm. same time. God, it is the holy land, um, Jay. That's all the time we have. But it's been really good spending uh, today with you as we celebrate Easter and reflect on these these mysteries that are mysteries for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for what you've done and for sharing it with us, so that we can also deepen our prayer life. Thanks for having me, Deacon Pedro. Bless you. Jared Brock is a filmmaker and author. His latest book, A Year of Living Prayerfully, How a Curious Traveler Met the Pope, Walked on Coals, Danced with Rabbis, and Revived His Prayer Life, is available at a bookstore near you. You can learn more at livingprayerfully.com. Let's end the program with a song by a group who has gone through a bit of a new life. They are called Wall, W-A-L, and you may recognize the voices as Jacob and Michael Paul Leon from the Jacob and Matthew Band. And we're going to feature Wall on our show in the weeks to come so we can learn all about their transformation. Let me just say that Wall, W-A-L, stands for We Are Loved. But especially at Easter, it can also stand for We Are Light. Here now is a song from their first album, Shine the Light, from Wall's Always and everywhere. What can contain us? Love will sustain us as we go out to the world. Marching on forward, bringing out your word as we go out to the
We're listening to Wall with Shine the Light from their album Always and Everywhere, published by World Library Publications. You can learn more about Wall at wallmusic.com. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. On that same page, you can find links to all the artists whom we feature on this program. You can send your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org and also visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. The Salt and Light Hour and Salt and Light Radio are ministries of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. You can learn all about Salt and Light and all we do at saltandlighttv.org. Today we heard music from Aaron Thompson, Wall, Mikey Needleman, Sarah Hart, Tori Harris, and Joe Zambone. This show could not be possible without the support of our generous Catholic artists. So please go to our website and find out who they are and how you can find them and support their ministries. And a special thank you to the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University in Chicago, who co-sponsored this week's program. You can learn more about their programs at luc.edu ips. Thank you for being with us. Have a holy and blessed Easter season. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special Easter edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Be the love, be yourself, that one of salvation, shine the light.